Hello, and welcome to the Timeline of Classics podcast. You're listening to episode 13. I'm your host, Gail Ledbetter, wife of a fun-loving fisherman, mother of four grown, incredible kids, recent U.S. Air Force wing mom, and accidental author of Timeline of Classics, Historical Context for the Good and Great Books. Did your study of history leave you bored to tears and feeling just as old as those dusty old books filled with cobwebs? Well, in today's episode, my guest and I will wipe away the dust and the cobwebs to reveal a fun and lasting way to study history. It's my goal to help you fall in love with literature, connect with history, and be able to teach the good and great books. So, classroom teachers, classical educators, and teaching parents with kiddos snuggled on the sofa, this is for you. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, There are 850,000 volumes at the Imperial Library at Paris. If a man were to read industriously from dawn till dark for 60 years, he would die in the first alcove. Well, that is not our purpose here, and that is certainly not necessary. Let us help you choose wisely from the countless and even sometimes scary stacks at the library. Our resource, Timeline of Classics, was created to help you make sense of world history through the literature of the ages. Getting a literary education is easier than you might think. So stick around. If you haven't already done so, head on over to Apple Podcast and subscribe to the Timeline of Classics podcast. Let's get busy with today's episode. My name is Gail Ledbetter. I'm your host today, and I'm quite pleased to introduce to you a special guest that I've waited for some time to interview. So um, I am thrilled to have today my good friend Jim Hodges. How's it going, Jim? I'm doing great, Gail. How are you? I'm well. It's finally turned to fall, <laughs> fall weather. Yes. Thought it would never happen. Monica and I. Monica and I have been uh, enjoying a couple of times now. We discovered a woods near our house that you would never know existed unless somebody told you. And it's got walking trails and biking trails. And, and we've just been having a really lovely time taking taking long walks through the woods with all the fall colors and the leaves on the ground. And, and yes, this is a this is a great time of year. Well, you know, in my area, I live in North Carolina and the the summer was so hot and dry and everything i'm just surprised that we have any beautiful leaves what but i'm so glad we do <laughs> it's beautiful yes yeah we still have a few well um i was trying to remember when i first heard of your work and when i first met you and i think it would have been about 2012 that's a, it's been a while that's a while ago <laughs> um 
So I, I would have thought actually I would have thought actually before that, but it's certainly it's certainly a possibility. Yes, maybe yes, so. Yes. Well, maybe you, if you wouldn't mind, give our listeners just a little information about yourself and uh, what you do, and maybe a little bit about your family. Okay. Um. I am married. In fact, Monica and I next year celebrate our 40th anniversary. All right. I've got three grown children, all married, eight grandchildren. We homeschooled all three of our kids all the way through high school. I was in the Navy for the vast majority of those homeschool years, but I was fortunate in my duty assignments. I missed some I've missed some pretty major events early on in our married life, but my subsequent duty assignments allowed me to be home most nights and very very few weekends, but most nights anyway. So my days off were school days. But <laughs> we, um, at the end of my 20-year Navy career, my wife asked me, you know, so what are you going to do next? And... I told her I've got all of this great experience that I uh, gleaned in my 20-year Navy career. I'm a great office administrator. I'm extremely organized and detail-oriented. And uh, we live in Oklahoma City now, and the the state capital is Oklahoma City, and Tinker Air Force Base is here, and surely I will be able to find a fine administrative position somewhere in those two bureaucracies and uh we'll be we'll be fine i'm sure i'll be able to find a job which i suspected was the question that she really was curious about the answer to what where's the next paycheck going to come from once you get out of the navy and then fortunately for both of us she rephrased the question and instead asked don't think about money just Tell me what you would do for a job if you could do anything you wanted. And I said, oh, that's easy. I'd record books. And she looked at me <laughs> kind of funny. She said, okay, that's interesting. I've known you for 19 years. We've been married for almost that entire time. Um, I've never heard you mention this. Where did that idea come from? I said, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a guy. I, we have these wild ideas in the back of our heads and never really take them seriously. But you asked, and, and that's exactly what I would do if I could do anything I wanted. And she wow. looked at me and said, well, why don't we try that? <laughs> and I was just, I mean, it just knocked me on my heels. It's like, uh, wow, um, gee. I, I mean, it was just shocking to me that somebody would have uh, resonated with and reinforced that and gone into agreement with that. And of course you would want your spouse to do all of those things for you, but it just never even occurred to me to even voice this. So we started researching. I got in contact with a lot of the audiobook companies and the publishing houses and, and said, Hey, I'd like to record for you. I've always done voice-related things. I did a lot of theater in high school and college and community theater, and I always volunteered to read out loud in school. 
I was the newscaster when I was on a ship in the Navy and we were out to sea. I did the news every night. Oh, how cool. Uh, <laughs> it was great. I'm sure. It I'll... was great. It, yeah. And so, I mean, I've done, I've always done voice stuff. So all of the companies said, well, we would love to give you a tryout, you know, come on up to New York. That's where our studios are. Or come up to Chicago or come out to Los Angeles. And I said, no, no, no. It's, it's the, it's the 20th, 21st century. We have the internet. I can set up a <laughs> studio at home and do it here and I'll send you the files, you know, online. And they're like, right. oh no, you have to come and work in our studio. Oh <laughs> dear. Well, uh, <laughs> no, actually, I don't. <laughs> uh, and and I don't want to move. I'm happy where I am. I've got a great church. We've got a great homeschooling community. We've got lots of friends here. Why would I want to leave? So anyway, wow. I then I said, okay, I guess I have to start my own audiobook company. So I just got online and started uh, finding out what I needed. What's a good microphone? What's good software? How good a computer do I need? What speaker system do I need? How do you soundproof all of these things? I just started doing the research online. And in the meantime, I'm asking my homeschool family friends, hey, I'm thinking of starting an audiobook business. What should I record? Mm. And to a family, they all said, you need to record the Henty novels, the George Alfred Henty historical novels. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of this guy, we, even though we'd been homeschooling for about 15 years or whatever. You know, we'd been homeschooling for a long time. I'd never heard of him. So I bought a couple of his books and read two of them and came back to the person I bought the books from and said, um, are, are, are all of his books like this with this great upstanding hero character who's got lots of adventures and is a great role model and teaches history in this fun, fun way through historical fit, you know, so I, and they all said, yeah, they're, they're all like that. I said, how many books did he write again? <laughs> 122. <laughs> and I thought, oh my Whoa, gosh. You've got a career. <laughs> I think I'll, I think he can keep me busy for a long, long time. So wow. that's where I started. I recorded two of them. I recorded uh, with Lee in Virginia, and shortly thereafter, in Freedom's Cause, I did my first homeschool convention in the year 2000 in wow. Oklahoma City, mm. and uh, it, it's just what I've been doing ever since. For the last 20 years, I've been recording Henty's, and now I'm doing other things as well, but Henty is still the backbone, and I just love what I do, and wow. I've been able to continue keep at it for 20 years being self-employed doing that so that's my story you hit you hit boy she asked a, a loaded question didn't she <laughs> your oh wife my gosh. and what a blessing you know, so, oh my goodness <laughs> you 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 don't know sometimes what those pivotal moments are in your life and decisions that you make or things that people say to you that completely alter the trend the trajectory of your life. And that was absolutely one of those moments. Wow. Well, that's a, what a blessing. Uh, you were saying, you know, I was going to ask you, um, one of my questions was, how did you, um, you know, get get to be doing what you're doing? But that, you just, 
you just hit the nail on the head. You found a need that people had even that long ago, 20 years ago, you know, homeschooling where people were really, really looking to, you know, find good literature that they can use, as you were saying, with with upstanding, you know, people, uh, heroes with, with character and it's all related to history. I mean, you can't go wrong. Right. <laughs> right. My goodness. And, and since since then, there has become more and more evident, at least to me, maybe it's always been the case. There are a number of like learning disabilities that people are contending with with their children, whether it's dyslexia or dysgraphia or other other visual processing or what whatever there's so many different special needs kind of situations where an audiobook is just a great way to deliver information mm-hmm. where a textbook or even asking a child to read a 3 to 400 page book is just not not in the offing for them it's just not how they learn Right. So that has been a big uh, extended area of uh, of assistance that an audiobook has has been able to fill and 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 supply it a a product a, a learning uh, um, I, I'm not I'm kind of struggling for the oh. words here. If I'm a if I'm a parent of a child with this uh, with dyslexia, this is a great thing to bring into that mix so I can keep teaching my my son or daughter right. without having to contend with their um, inability to read the written word. Yeah. Right. So. Well, it's, it's amazing. Um, I have definitely heard that story over and over, over the years. I, um, I don't know if you ever met any of my family over the time of our homeschooling at conventions, but we would, I think the only, I think the only one that I've met is your husband. Okay. That would have probably been in <laughs> South Carolina, maybe. We we um, had been at the, um, you know, NCHE in in North Carolina. That's where I first right. remember meeting you, of course. But okay, yeah, okay, yep. So we we have four kids, and our story is similar to yours. Uh, two boys, two girls. We homeschooled all of them all the way through. Um, my oldest is now in the military. Um, she uh, just recently yes. joined the Air Force. <laughs> right. So, and that, believe it or not, even though I'm a Navy vet, when young people come to me today and, and talk about whether or not the military would be for them, I, my default primary recommended, recommended branch is the Air Force now. Well, It I, really is well, for a we, multitude of reasons. Well, she, we, we could not be more pleased. I, I had no clue in the world we would be a military family. Um, but she's our oldest. She's 28. Uh, she is uh, right uh, currently uh, training to be on a CCAT team, uh, C-C-A-T-T, which is it's a medical okay. job. It's a medical job. So she's gonna, she'll be doing a critical care air transport which means oh my gosh yes <laughs> i know we said the same thing so she will be on a team working with a doctor a nurse um, and a group of people who can convert any aircraft into a flying icu 
Oh my goodness! Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's. I know that it, is amazing. It's incredible. I, I mean, our military. I had no idea some of the things that we're capable of, and I'm learning <laughs> every day. But yeah, this the right. uh, the you're, since you I'll just get off on this little tangent for a second. Uh, since you uh, have recorded so many um, military stories, you know, war stories, um, the survival rate. Uh, even a hundred years ago in World War One, wasn't really good for uh, a soldier oh, who was hurt no. in battle. Get could you no. even could you even venture a guess what it is now? In two thousand nineteen, the survivability rate so, of military injured, members injured in battle. Yes, I would say it is in in the upper nineties or in the nineties for sure. In you're the 90, exact, 90th percentile. You're exactly right. It's ninety eight percent. Isn't that incredible? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Isn't fantastic. that incredible? So yeah. Now there's there. I mean, it used to be that if somebody was hit by an IUD and had both of their legs blown off they would not survive. So because of the our incredible advances there, the survivability rate is much higher, but also the disability rate goes up because you can survive now. Uh, so yeah. it's, <laughs> I, it's fantastic that you're able to live still. I mean, right. truly, truly. Right. So, right. I, and you know, this is, this is my plug for, um, for surviving members of battle. We need to take really good care of them. Oh, heavens, yes. We need to take really good care of them. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so some of these um, awesome stories that you've done, I was going to ask you if you have uh, any uh, favorites or certain ones that, that you're just drawn to, maybe a um, maybe even a military story, a, a war story, or a war character. I was wondering if you... Um, have a, have one you want to read a portion of so we could get a feel oh, for what this is like <laughs> so our our listeners can, they can't see but we'd I'd love for them to hear and you can think about it for a minute it's okay we okay you, good <laughs> okay I'll, I'll throw I'll throw another question while you're um, doing that you uh, had had said to me of last week or so that you had just re- uh, recorded another hinty you just finished one yes which one yes, was that? Yes, yes. I've actually recorded two this fall. Gosh, gee, I normally don't announce this until oh, I, I release them. Well, you know what? Uh, we so don't have to. So this would be to. an exclusive. Well, no, no, that's oh, fine. That's fine. <laughs> Cat out of the bag. <laughs> I just recorded at Agincourt which is one of the most uh, amazing lopsided victories on the part of the English against the French during the Hundred Years' War under Henry V. Okay. There's a lot of backstory to that that I was completely unaware of until I started recording this book. And that's the cool thing. And I'm a history guy. I love history. I never get tired of it. And there's no way that I'll ever learn all of it. So there is an inexhaustible supply of history for me to learn but the um that's just it's just a really really great story and what a what an incredible um 
victory of the English over the French in France, which really is kind of sad. But um, uh. <laughs> and the other one that I that I'm actually going to be putting the finishing touches on just today is both sides of the border, which is about the Welsh and the Scotch rising up <clears throat> and harassing England simultaneously, hoping to unseat who they consider to be um, an, an illegitimate King Henry IV. And so there's a lot of action, there's a lot of adventure. So those are the two that I'm gonna be announcing on December 1. I always do that. I get the I get them recorded and edited and mastered and CDs produced in the fall and then I release them on December 1 and they're my new titles when I hit the homeschool circuit the following spring. Yes. All right. Um I think I think I'm up to 31 now. <laughs> as far as favorites, as far as fa yeah, I've done 31 but he wrote 122 books, which means <laughs> I only have 89 to go or something. I mean it's just ridiculous. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but I think my I think my personal favorite is by right of conquest. Mm -hmm. It's a story about Hernando Cortez conquering the Aztec Empire in the 1580s. It's not a pretty story. But it is an amazing story about how 500 Spaniards came into Central America, realized how despised the Aztec Empire was by the tribes that they had conquered, that the tribes were responsible for handing over their children and their their they're young people and you know anytime they got in a battle with the Aztecs they did, were not interested in killing their opponents they wanted to capture them so they could sacrifice them oh. you know live sacrifice on oh. the all I mean it was just a ghastly Goodness. ghastly empire built on human sacrifice and Cortez and his men came in with 500 mm. the Aztec Empire estimate estimated population is 500,000 so it was a thousand to one odds against them, and they conquered the empire anyway. I mean, it's just an amazing story. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Wow, I can see. Uh, so that's my that's my personal favorite hint because Cortez had to have been just one of the most unbelievably inspirational, charismatic leaders uh, of all time. Just wow. just my personal opinion. Wow. Well, quick question. You and I know who yeah. G.A. Henty is, but for our listeners who don't oh. know him, let's talk. tell just a little bit about him so people can okay. get on our bandwagon <laughs> and understand a little bit I think about that's a him. very good idea, yes. Yeah. Well, we talked earlier about all of the homeschooling families that I was friends with recommending the Henty novels to me as a great source of good good quality material for young men. And that was really what I was looking for. I need good books for young men. Uh, so George Alfred Henty was born in 1832 in England. He died in 1902. So he lived to be about uh, wow. 60 years old, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. um, if my math is right, no, uh, That's <laughs> which right. it's not, that would be, no. that would be, no, that would be 70, what, 32 yeah, 70. to 02? Yes, yeah, 70. That would be 70, okay. Very close. <laughs> as, a, as a young man, he was rather sickly, bedridden a lot with 
uh, upper respiratory issues. They actually thought at that time, and this is how medicine progresses, they actually thought at that time that bringing in petroleum products and letting him breathe the vapors would be a big help. And he was afraid that somebody might accidentally or neglectfully come in with a cigar or something and and blow up his room because it was so full of fumes, which didn't really help his breathing condition. Yes. (laughs) But he, uh, the poor guy, he's looking out his window and seeing all the other kids playing in the street and just told his dad one day, he said, you know what, I'm going outside. I'm not going to live a life in bed. While he was there, he did do a lot of reading. He was fascinated with animals and nature and geology and, and he just history. He read a vast swath of information because he spent a lot of time uh, in, in bed. So he, he read a lot. But then he decided he was going to go outside, started pushing through this illness that he had, this condition. I don't know that it was ever actually... Um, prescribe you know what it was determined exactly what it was but he decided he's going to go outside and his dad sent him to the local school at which place he determined as a you know a 10 year old kid look i'm going to go out for rowing i'm going to go out for boxing i'm going to go out for cricket i'm going to go out for all of the sports that required the most strenuous uh, exertions that that he could find because he wanted to be healthy and so he thought that exercise would be a good thing And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing for a 10-year-old kid or a 12-year-old kid to have that kind of drive. Uh, It just really impressed me. So he was a really good student. His dad uh, agreed to send him to Cambridge University. It was Caius College, which is part of the Cambridge University system. And he was a good student, did well. You know, you've got to be pretty smart to get into Cambridge. I would say. (laughs) And after after a little while there, I don't really know how long, whether it was just one or two years, he came back to his dad and said, you know, dad, this is great. I really, really appreciate your paying for this. But I don't think I want to have a, a studious life. I don't think like the classroom or the the cloisters or research or I just don't think that's the life for me. I want a more active life. Would you would you get me a commission in the military? And his dad's like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, my goodness. So back then you could buy a, an officer rank in the military if you had enough money. That's how, the, that's how the, um, the British military funded itself. It was a funding source. You could buy a commission. So his dad bought him a commission in the Army Commissariat Department, hospital commissariat. So he was responsible for getting supplies to the hospitals in the British Empire during the 1860s. Well, where was the British Empire in the 1860s? Everywhere, (laughs) all over the world. The sun never set on the British Empire. We know that he was stationed in the the Crimea during the Crimean War between Turkey, Russia, and England in the the mid-1800s. He worked in the same hospital as Florence Nightingale. Oh my And it is believed that they probably knew each other and he worked for her. Um, so, or with her anyway, I doubt that she would have necessarily been in a, but anyway, be that, be that as it may. While he's there, he's writing letters home to his dad and his dad's taking the letters to the newspaper and having them published. 
and he's reporting he's reporting on what's really happening down here in the Crimea. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't, yeah, basically I don't know what the government official line is, but let me tell you what my day-to-day experience is like. Goodness. And so he <laughs> yes, so the and the newspapers are like, "Oh my gosh, we've got it. We've got an officer in the hospital who's telling it like it is." So hmm. Henty being having, you know, some health issues actually gets sick there. And a lot of people that went to the hospital died because of the conditions in the hospital as opposed to their wounds. Mm-hmm. And so he gets really sick. He gets sent home to recuperate and decides I'm going to resign that commission. I'm that's just too much for me. So the newspapers mm-hmm. found out that he was home and said, "Hey, how would you like to be a reporter for us?" Wow. <laughs> we will send you we will send you to the opening of the Suez Canal. We will send you to India. We will send you to the Middle East. We will send you to Russia. We will send you to France for the uh, communist uprisings. We will you know, so he's traveling all over the world as a reporter for the newspapers in England, mostly the standard. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> now he's by now he's married. He's got four kids and his wife passes away. Now he kind of needs to come home. He can't be this world traveler, military guy, Cambridge educated, big, beefy. He's a big, burly man by this time. Uh, those health concerns of his childhood are gone. But he he decides, okay, I need to come home. So he's telling his kids a story about the Hardy family, not the Henty family, mind, mind you, the Hardy family. And the Hardy family just happens to have four children, Charles, Hubert, Maud, and Ethel. And that's the name of his four children. So he's telling <laughs> them the story about the Hardy family moving to Argentina, fighting off the natives, and starting a new life in Argentina. George Manville Fenn, a friend of his, is at dinner one night and hears him telling this story and says, George, you should write that as a story and Mm -hmm. publish books. Mm -hmm. And George said, no, come on, this is a kid's story. You gotta be kidding me. And this is just for, you know, after dinner entertainment Mm -hmm. before the kids go to bed. So, well, he, he finally prevails upon him. George writes Out on the Pampas, his first book for boys, takes it to a publisher, takes three years to get published, but once Mm -hmm. it once it publishes, it becomes a bestseller. And the mm. the uh, publisher comes back and says, have you got any more? And by the time he was done, he's written 122 books. Wow. It's just it's, it's insane. Yeah. Okay. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes to show when you have when you have a project or something in mind, you know, you you follow it through and you never know where where it's going to take you or you never know you just don't know well okay you so you were saying you know i've heard heard you say it um that you were looking for you know just good quality things for boys and how you know henty was doing the same thing so what is the what is what is it about literature or books that is such a good way to develop character in our kids. I mean, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, depend, depending on who and what you're reading, the the whole idea of literature really is to it's to tell a story and to provide models of what you can kind of expect depending on which character you choose to be and which Mm. character traits you have or don't have 
there's mm-hmm. you know today we've got the the anti-hero and that's just it's just silly you you need to have you need to model for yourself and especially for your children you need to have stories where good good quality people face life make decisions for their life based on good character based on biblical principles or at least religious principles or at least moral principles of of doing right by people about treating others with respect about taking responsibility for your action you know all of these things and and the 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 children begun begin to associate with the hero character and their struggles in life and the things that they do right and how that redounds back to them because of the way that they've treated other and you know so so we're all learning about life through other people's experiences whether they're an actual person that you're reading a biography or about a fictional person and you know you can learn facts till the cows come home about history or any other subject but if it's not rooted in quality decision making if it's not rooted in in morals if it's not you know, there's there's a there's a natural end for the choices that you make i guess is what it boils down to and and literature good good quality literature can lay out a a potential future for kids as to you know which way do i want to go here what and and without them having to make those hard decisions yet you know just kind of giving them a framework for and that's one of the things that i've just been so grateful for the church you know we're we're christians my monica and i actually made public declarations at the same service at the same time on the same day we both looked at each other and said i believe all of that uh, is there any reason for us not to publicly declare that we are christians and that we believe all that and we accept christ as our savior it's like no we both raised our hands and that that biblical framework informs every decision that we make and that's kind of what literature does for for young people it gives them a framework that will help them make decisions in their life while they're learning history or while they're learning you know geography or whatever whatever the subject is so to me that's that's the beauty of literature whether you're reading um you know i've recorded robinson crusoe uh he's all alone on an island and he's you know surviving which is great that's the story but he's having a spiritual journey simultaneous with that. And so you kind of get to weave those two things together into a story. And that, you know, that's the beauty of literature for me. Wow. You've been listening to episode 13 of the Timeline of Classics podcast. I hope our conversation today has encouraged you. My guest, Jim Hodges, has spent over 20 years making history come alive. So I hope you can hear our heart and that we, the two of us truly do love literature. We love history, and we certainly don't want people to think that it is one of those old things that just really is becoming 
unimportant and doesn't matter anymore because it really, really does. So go ahead and tune in for episode 14 where Jim and I will pick up where we left off with this good conversation. It's certainly my goal to help you fall in love with literature, connect with history, and be able to teach the good and great books. And as always, thanks for listening.